This is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Welcome into the show. My name is Braden Dennis. As always, joined by the very wonderful Simon Belanger. Good sir, how are you feeling? This is my turn to uh, carry you on my back for today's episode. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it was kind of it's a it's a fun little change. I mean, it doesn't. Uh, I think either way, it's pretty good. It's fun when we go back and forth a little more, but uh, switching things up will give me a break for uh, you know keep my saliva and all that. So. <laughs> <laughs> Don't dry my you'll mouth be, too much, and just, you'll be uh, you'll be primed and just ready for some good one liners yeah. for the episode. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. So uh, you you go ahead, you lead this one, Braden. Okay, so today we're gonna do a recap of the my last like four or five days in Omaha, Nebraska, for many events, meeting investors, meeting some internet friends, and of course seeing the very Sharp, 99-year-old and 92-year-old Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett, respectively. And so I'll just kind of go through everything. I've basically, what I've done, Simone, is I haven't refined it a lot. So I'm just going to be kind of winging a lot of this because I just had an ongoing note in my phone and I've just pasted it here for the episode. But I I think it's structured pretty well. And I'm going to also go over... 10 distinct lessons um, from things that they've said during the Q&A session while I was watching it live. So uh, I, I encourage you to jump in, comment, ask questions during that during that time. But we should start with my Airbnb story. Did I tell you this yet? Yeah, like I kind of half understood. <laughs> um, but yeah, why don't you bring me up to speed? So... I went to to Omaha and the, where, where I was staying was I'm in this like investing community and my co-founder got me in it. It's just this online forum. It's like value investors and professional fund managers. And I, I, I mostly have gone in there because a lot of people were actually using Stratosphere and like interested in the platform, using it for their for their business. So I was like, just engaging with them. I just thought it was like, you know, a great marketing tool as well as like, there's some really, really smart people in there. So I joined this, this community. And so next thing you know, I'm going to Omaha with them, uh, staying in this Airbnb. We have like a bunch, we have like three houses side by side and we all have our own room in there. And there's, it's all owned by the same Airbnb owner. And these houses are like carbon copies of each other. And so I arrive in Omaha at midnight and I go to the Airbnb. Everyone's already there and asleep. So I'm trying not to make too much noise, but this is an old house with the creakiest floors on planet earth. And you know, when you're trying not to be loud, oh, you're yeah. way louder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I already have a heavy foot and I'm like, oh man, these guys are going to hate me. Next morning, I realized I slept in the wrong house. I went in the wrong Airbnb. It was still with the group, so it's not like that crazy. But like, I was not in the right house. 
And the key code works on all three houses, the owner. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's probably, that's not the best idea, I think. Yeah, but, uh, like what security is that? So that's like, I don't, you know, you don't, you don't question it when you type in the right key code to the door. Like, anyway. You got lucky there so, were beds left. Yeah. There was, yeah, there was one left. And uh, anyway, so, so. Did you switch back to the right one or you just stay there? I switched back because I went to the other house and I was like, oh, this is kind of an upgrade of a, oh, okay. of a room. Okay. If not, I would have just stayed and like, I was with these, with these German and Austrian guys in the other house and they're, they were great. Like oh, they were, okay. they're okay. awesome. Um, anyway, so let's get on to the Saturday because the Saturday is the, is the Berkshire meeting. Um, it's a f- full, full day, but I'll start from the, from the top. So you're in this arena sits, I think they said there was 40,000 people there. It was full, more than standing room there. I I don't think there was that many people, but that's how many shareholder cards they like gave away. So let's call it 25,000 people there. This arena is full, including everyone having to stand in the concourse areas and um, in the upper deck on all the walkways were, were full of people. So it was more than full. And they start off with a movie. Did you know about the movie? No, I didn't know about the movie. And actually, question for you. How, like, do you sign up to go there to the arena or is it just first come, first serve? It's this, it's open seating. Uh, it's first come, okay. first serve. But you, you have to have your shareholder credentials card. Okay. But you can also go as a shareholder credentials guest if okay. you're with a shareholder and you can, and like Adrian, for instance, gave me one of his shareholder credential cards because they give you more than one if you okay. want one. Okay. Yeah. Because I was like, I don't think you own Berkshire stock. <laughs> yeah. I actually don't own okay. Berkshire stock. I would be happy to own Berkshire stock. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think you're looking at very similar to market returns, which is fine, which is great. I mean, the blue chip of all blue chips. So. Um, the movie. All right. So they start with this movie and I can't describe the plot because it seems like it's a bit of a rite of passage there being during the movie. They're very strict. There's a a thing Warren comes out and says, do not film this. Anyone caught filming, like you'll get kicked out. Like the shareholders will be pissed. Like it's not cool. Right. Basically. And so it's the, it's the kind of like novel thing about being there. And it is brilliant. It's skits. Skits done. Really? By Buffett and Charlie. Oh, man. <laughs> Recently or from the 1980s? Amazing. <laughs> no, like some of them seemed pretty recent. Okay, okay. Some of them for sure were not recent. But but still, they would be like in their 80s, late 80s, like a few, maybe early 90s. The for tell longer. is like, that they did not have white hair. That's, uh, yeah. Or had he hair. certainly did. Yeah. Or had hair for <laughs> yeah. Charlie. Charlie's pretty bald, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. At the ripe age of 99, we'll, uh, we'll give him a break. So the movie is Howls. It's hilarious. And these two guys, that, that leads me into my first point, is these guys are jokesters. It's always been a common theme of the meeting to have a lot of humor in there. You know, Charlie with his one-liners, Buffett loves telling jokes. 
he said that that was his first thing that he asked AI was to tell it jokes when when Bill Gates came over to his house to show him chat GPT. And the whole vibe there is these two guys have a real appreciation for comedy and humor. And the the movie is fucking hilarious, dude. Uh, it's it's good stuff. So, but you know that. I mean, they love sprinkling in jokes. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, uh, not too much to add there. I, you know, I do would just with what I've watched before and the hour and a half or so that I watched uh, this morning because I wanted to, you know, see a bit how it went so I can ch- I could chime in a little bit. And there's always that humor and it's almost, you know, the little kind of banter back and forth and, you know, Charlie having zero filter and Warren Buffett None. being like more... You know, how would I diplomatic, put diplomatic maybe. is probably the, the better <laughs> word where Charlie doesn't give a beep. So, yeah. No, and he's caring less and less, which, you know, I'll probably do the same at that age. Question. <laughs> if, uh, I, if I make it. Yeah, I do have a question for you because that's been one of my kind of criticism from, uh, you know, Buffett. But I think especially Charlie is... Um, did they get any questions about, you know, why they invest in China, in Chinese companies? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, dude, Munger's, but Munger's weird about it. Like, Yeah. Okay. I mean, he, he has ha- been for what he I've seen. He loves bringing up some of, the, from some of his portfolio companies. And I'll talk about that in okay. one of my lessons, actually. I'm going to have a section, on, a section on China. Okay. All right. So, let's get into it. Here are my 10 lessons from the meeting and we'll go one by one and then um, I'll give you a chance to, to comment. So the quote here from Charlie Munger, value investing is getting harder, but the opportunity remains of people being stupid is still there. If you're willing to look five years, 10 years and 15 years in a short term focused market, the opportunity is still there. Um, so these guys say this all the time, but it sets the stage for a couple things. They, they've been saying the same things consistently for 50 years straight. And that's why people like them so much. Um, they've been true to their word. And, and I agree. They said that, you know, it's getting more and more hard to find value investing ideas. And it's even more and more hard for them deploying so much capital, but people do a lot of stupid things, <laughs> quote Charlie Munger. And so that's kind of your opportunity. Yeah. And it goes back to the last episode. We, we, you know, um, the earnings and news, the one I led is we were talking about Aritzia, but I think it kind of goes back into that is I think now value investing, you really have to zone in on companies that are, you know, in the short term are experiencing some kind of headwinds and you have to be able to properly project what it will be in 5, 10, and 15 years and be able to identify the ones that will, yes, face some short-term headwinds. They're not existential or anything like that. The market may think they are, but if your assessment is correct, then that's usually when you find the best value, at least in my opinion, is longer term, but is being able to identify those companies, which is not easy. Um, it's not easy to yeah. identify those because oftentimes, you know, there's going to be some pretty significant headwinds going on and it's it's being able to determine whether it's a, uh, you know, it's short term and it's not existential, basically. Yeah, good point. And that also gets me thinking about like those short term 
issues that you have a guide down or something. And then every single analyst, you know, marks their little spreadsheet with earnings per share guidance down. And then you have all this systematic selling um, from funds and algos that, you know, the stock drops like a rock for just like, you know, one line item on the, on the earnings call, but a light guide, you know, <laughs> everyone rushes to fill out their spreadsheet and then boom, the systematic selling begins. So I don't know how much of that happens in terms of being able to quantify it, but we know it oh, happens. Yeah. I mean, it could also just be, uh, you know, a sector. You have a company. We talked about Bellwether stocks recently where maybe a Bellwether company for that sector posts some pretty bad earnings. But there's another company that's actually firing on all cylinders, doing quite well. And it just takes a hit just based on that, you know, that not sister company, but that company in the same sector that posted not great results or poor guidance, which, you know, may have an impact on them, but may not. So I think that's usually a a time you see that too. It's like the last like 25 quarters of (laughs) advertising stocks that go down because Snapchat reports first with some crappy numbers and then everything else falls. All right. Number two, Buffett would love to be born today with a small amount of money to show that the process is the exact same. You know, this is a game for them. Um, They love the game, they love the hustle, and they love making money. And Buff says, like, you know, kind of following up on that second point when they were talking about how it's getting harder. And he said, with a lot of confidence, if I was born today with a small amount of money, I could do this again. Um and and who's to doubt him, right? He, he says, I got some luck along the way, but the, the process is still the same and it takes a long time, right? Like that that's still there. And then Munger said, well, go ahead. You can do that, but I don't want to see my big pile turn into a small pile. So have fun with yeah. that. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, there's not much to add there. I think it's just, I think they're just contrarians in nature and they're not afraid to follow their conviction in companies that, you know, the market is down on and they'll, you know, they'll put their money where their mouth is and it's worked out pretty well for them. I mean, they're not, and I think it's important for people to remember, I think they even touched on it a little bit. Uh, You know, they said they're not emotional when it comes to business decisions, but, you know, they've made errors too, whether they're emotional or not. I mean, clearly they're saying they're not, but they've made errors. And I think that's important to know that, you know, one of the probably the the best investor, I think for according to most people, at least in terms of the stock market uh, has made mistakes. So it's okay to make them as long as your winners outweigh that. I think that's the, that's important to remember. That's right. Uh, a profound quote that, I wrote down and I, I saw almost everyone in the stadium quickly run to their notepad or phone to write this one down. And it's just so casually just slips in all these kinds of like really amazing quotes uh, on the fly. And Warren said, to live a good life, quote, write your obituary and reverse engineer it. And I thought that was really quite profound. Uh, you know, one of the questions from the, the Q&A was like, passing on a legacy, how to teach your kids about 
about being great, you know, how to live a good life, like looking back, you know, in your old age now. And he said, write your obituary and reverse engineer it. And it's kind of an exercise I want to do now, but it's also very intimidating. It's, it's, it's a very intimidating exercise to do it. And I'll let you know if I do it, but well, yeah, because it, I'm, I'm, I'm very nervous. Well, to do yeah, it. because you have to think about dying. That's what it is. Like it's a, like that. Yeah. It's also quite yeah, morbid. It's unsettling for a lot of people. And you know, I, I watch and when they talked about that and that stood out as me too, um, as I was, uh, watching like, Oh, that's an interesting quote. And I was especially listening to the other part you mentioned, you know, about talking to your kids about money and the legacy you leave behind your kids. And that's something definitely for me that, you know, as a new father, that's uh, like, I want to make sure my daughter early on understands the basics. And, uh, you know, I want her to be financially independent, but also so, you know, obviously I'd like to leave her something when I pass away. So um, that that was yeah. a section that I found pretty interesting, too. Yeah, super profound. And uh, yeah, I, I want to do it, but I'm yeah. obviously very intimidated. Well, one thing you said right, number was four. making sure you're, you, you talk to your kids about it or those who yeah. are in your wheel because they've noticed a lot of the time is people, you know, end up leaving money the you know the beneficiaries don't even know and then you know they find out there's a lot more yeah. money than they thought and then everyone lawyers up and then the family breaks down because of money issues so just i think i think my takeaway with that was just communication with your family yeah he started the answer to that question about the will and like how to how to hand off wealth to your kids with well from my view, just make sure them seeing the will for the first time isn't when you die. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that seems pretty simple, but yeah, it probably happens all the time. You know, like make sure someone who is going to be involved in your will doesn't see it for the first time after you're gone. Um, all right, number four, quote, you can always romanticize about the past, but it's a better place now than when I was born. This was Warren Buffett talking about America as a country. Um, because, of course, you know, it's, it's held in there. There's lots of Americans there. There's like, like I said, 25,000 plus people there live. And a lot of questions are on the empire that is America. Because they have bet on America time and time again and built massive fortunes. And it, many Americans talking to them this weekend, they think that the country is super divided. And I think that that's no surprise to anyone kind of culturally, you have this like huge split, uh, politically, culturally, whatever. And he, he's just said this multiple times throughout the, throughout the me the meeting. Anytime that came up about America, because he talks about it a lot is we certainly have problems but we've had a lot of problems in the past and the problems are better now than when I was born uh, 92 years ago. And I mean, you can't, it's, it's, it's really, it's really hard to argue with that. Yeah, no, it is. And I think there was a nugget too, where he said he's more optimistic than Charlie. <laughs> I think I caught that. I thought that was yeah. pretty funny. Um, he yeah. did say that 
on a handful of occasions. Yeah, yeah I think. exactly. And I mean, look, I think you can go back in time and there's always going to be issues. Clearly, um, you know, right now, I think with social media, the internet, a lot of it is more apparent, I would say. And I think one of the things dividing people is kind of people getting into these eco chambers of that follow their belief system and you know we don't get really political but i think you know one of the issues we're seeing whether it's us canada or elsewhere in the world is you know those echo chambers and the fact that people are kind of reluctant to engage to anyone that's kind of outside of that and you know i think people listening to the podcast kind of know i like to look at things from all the different angles um and you know i think more people should be doing that because then when you put you know you kind of approach situation and you put yourself in other people's shoes whatever their situation is you know you may not agree with them but you can at least understand where they're coming from really funny cuz in the second half of the on this exact topic of the political discussion in america he actually brought up Elon Musk. Oh boy! Um, <laughs> I didn't get that far. Of, so yeah, yeah. It was this was this was after lunch. He brought up Elon Musk and said, "You guys should all go listen to his thoughts on the Bill Maher interview." And so I went and go and listened to it yeah, last night. And it's basically about you know why he bought Twitter and this the political discourse being very un uneven. Yeah. And so clearly Warren watched it and 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 agreed with with Elon's takes. So I thought that was quite interesting. Like he's not the, he's not a normal 92 year old, no. you know, <laughs> like he, he's, he's out here watching YouTube videos of Mr. Elon Musk. All right. Number five quote, this is Buffett quote. I've never looked at where someone went to school when hiring ever in his whole career. Um, and I wanted to bring this up because young people, myself, I used to, Looking back, I think it's ridiculous. And, and, and hear hear from Buffett, who's hired countless people, maybe, you know, one of, like, if you look at the extension of Berkshire, one of the largest employers on, on the planet. And Warren said, I've never cared or never looked at where someone went to school. And I wanted to bring this up because young people listening, um, if you have imposter syndrome about where you went to school or what degree you took in school, do not over-index on that because the world doesn't care as much as you think. Maybe it matters for your first job ever, and then it doesn't. Um, and so to not to over-index on that or have imposter syndrome about competing with Ivy League school people or, or that kind of stuff. If you went to those schools, great. If you didn't, don't worry. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I've been, uh, you know, we did some hiring for the podcast, but also in large corporations. I've been part of like hiring, uh, staffing, uh, talent acquisition, had a couple of years there, didn't really love it. But uh, all that to say that, you know, I think it's completely irrelevant where someone went to school. Um, I've always had the, th uh, maybe not always, but as I've gotten in my later 20s and my 30s, I kind of came to the realization that, you know, depending on the amount of the education you'll have and not the school you went to, just the level of education, it will not close any door for you. Especially if you're looking to get a job in a big corporation where they're more stringent on the requirements. Um, so having that education won't close any doors, but where you got it, 
doesn't really matter. And honestly, it's what you do once you got through the door, which will have the biggest impact and what you do afterwards. And, you know, I know some people that have had great careers that, you know, only have a high school education. Um, I mean, the downside with that is oftentimes they do have to work really, really hard to get to the same place as someone else. But I totally agree, especially when you can save money, not get into debt um, and still get an education that most employers will you know, whether you have your bachelor from Harvard or, you know, Ottawa U or wherever it is, if it's the same degree, I mean, if you do well in interview and you have those interpersonal skills, which I think are way more important, um, you should go pretty far as well. Next one here, I have the oh, yeah. one you Yeah, I haven't seen it. It's just before. It's because it's three words. It's too, too short. China tension and their thoughts there. So... Uh, the Chinese, you know, America, Chinese tensions was one of the questions. And I, I, I don't remember what the question was about, but it was basically just, what do you think here? What can be done? Uh, that kind of thing. And they were both very quick to answer with the very same type of opinion on this, that America and China not getting along is bad for humanity uh, it's non quote unquote nonsense and should be stopped immediately. Um, and that both countries have a lot of value to add. Both can get along and both can be, be, be better, stronger getting along than, than fighting. Um, and you know, Munger's been very pro China. Uh, there's no way around it. There's just absolutely no way around it. He has been for, for years now and they've both been very quick to answer whatever your kind of political thoughts are here. It it doesn't matter. These two countries are going to prosper better and longer if they get along. Yeah. I mean, uh, look, I, for me, I'm, I feel like I look, I'll have to look at it. I feel like they're kind of beating around the bush and, you know, not, you know, they don't want to get into it. That's kind of the sense I've had listening to them in the past when it came to the China question and CCP. And just to be clear, um, you know, I've been to Taiwan, so I've been to Taipei. So I've seen also the other side of it. Um, and it's not the Chinese people per se. It's just the CPP and the control that um, they seem to have on their population and the surveillance state that's there. And also the control they have on businesses. And I'm surprised they didn't at least touch on that where the kind of unilateral decision that a handful of people can take which can impact investments in a good or bad way right um so i i I think i read what they're saying is not like we agree with the way they do business because of course they don't Mm -hmm. right they're yeah this is the the mecca of capitalism is this meeting Mm -hmm. right um, which is the opposite of yeah. it's more the that tensions between the two superpowers. It's more the yeah. tension. It's they think that America and China will thrive better not fighting, even though their values might be entirely different. I wish someone would have asked them, like, don't you see the CCP and the power being in the hand of a few people as a potential business risk? I would have liked to 
hear their reaction on that. I'm not sure if they would have answered the question, uh, but that that's a question I would have liked to to hear their thoughts on. Yeah, that's fair enough. I yeah, I mean, I certainly agree with you. Uh, I would have liked to hear that as well. But I also agree that like it's a tricky. They, they yeah. kind of hinted. They, they yeah, they kind of hinted basically like. Warren Bruff brought this up a few times with geopolitical tension. He goes, look, this isn't the same as soon as we, we decided to build a nuclear bomb. As soon as the nuclear bomb was invented with the Manhattan Project for World War II, he goes, quote, he, he quote, I remember this. He goes, goes, quote, it's something we needed to do, but changed everything. Yeah. And that's true with, with tensions globally, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think he was responding to that. Uh, when in they had an AI question, I think he was comparing yeah, AI because yeah. that's yeah. one of the parts I, I did listen to. Yeah, he's like, there's a few technological advances that changed the world forever. Uh, and he, he was he was bucketing AI in there and also the nuclear bomb. Uh, it's true. I mean, it's the world is never the same after that invention because there's always that threat. You can't just go yeah. around. <laughs> you can't just go around. Uh, you know, the stakes are yeah. high, right? Uh, okay. Funny one here I picked up. They were talking about Ben Graham, uh, you know, giving their respect to, you know, the father of value investing. And Charlie said, Ben Graham's returns came from a growth stock named Geico. And that's really funny because, of course, he's known as the value investing, uh, the, you know, the father of value investing. And he did caveat and said that he bought it when it was undervalued. But the fact that, you know, the, a, a large amount of money from these guys and from their mentor, Ben Graham, the father of value investing, their return decomposition has come from businesses that grow, not from turning around a cigar butt to get one last puff and sell it for uh, a re-rate on the valuation multiple. The compounding has come from the growth of these businesses over time. So deep value investors move aside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, deep value investors move aside, or if it's in deep value, at least hope the business is growing. But if it's if it is, it's probably not deep deep value. All right, number eight, Apple. Let's talk about Apple. So we got a, there was a question from the Q and A. Um, the the guy said, "I was at a value investor meetup this morning or yesterday morning here in Omaha with Aswath Damadorian. Am I saying his name right? He's a professor. Yeah, He's I've a, heard." He's yeah. very popular, yeah, yeah. famous, mm-hmm. and um, it's, he's a professor somewhere. Asmat Damodarian. He's a yeah. I think I've heard him on the professor um, uh, on lots podcasts. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to find out what school he is a professor at. Anyways, um, he's wrote many books, and uh, he's a professor here at New York University. It looks like okay, sure, whatever. Um, it said. That Oswald was very uh, nervous as soon as a, a, a position was, was so big and that he would never have a position more than 30%. And he says, well, why is Apple such a big business? And what do you think on that? And Munger says, I'll take this one. I think he's certifiably insane. <laughs> and leaves it yeah. at that. And everyone starts, of course, lie, dying and laughing. And then and Buffett expanded on this and he said, look, Apple is a better business than any single business that, uh, that Berkshire Hathaway owns outright. And he was very persistent on that. He says, there is, n- we own some great assets. 
We own some wonderful businesses, the insurance business, the, the railroad, uh, you know, the energy business. None of them are as good as Apple uh, in terms of business quality. And to, for someone to say, well, you own 100% of the railroad, no one would ever say that because they own it outright. They, you know, it's, you know, position sizing, you look at like Berkshire Energy and Berkshire Insurance or something, and they're about the same as the Apple position, which is publicly traded. And he says, you don't see anyone coming to us and say, why do you own 100% of the railroad? It's a completely ridiculous thing to say. And so he, he thinks that, you know, their, their, their concentration in Apple against the public portfolio, sure, it, it is massive. And, and they think that it's, it's ridiculous to question it. Uh, basically was their quick answer and that, um, Munger called selling some of it diversification as he likes, as he likes to do. Yeah, and from their perspective, I get what they're saying. From an investor perspective for their own portfolio, I would go ahead and disagree just because everyone's level of comfort with such a large position uh, will be different. I mean, if someone holds like 30, 35% in Apple, um, you know, Apple can still sink 5, 10% in one day. So what what do you do when that happens? You panic and sell your position. Um, so I think it's definitely personal. Per, and I would say, you know, I use a sleep test, right? So if it's making you stress at night and you can sleep because your position's too big, then you probably should trim it. So uh, it's kind of, I used a quality of life uh, test to, to know whether the position's too big or not. For the last two, let's move on to timely topics, uh, <laughs> some big macro stuff and banking. So let's do banking Don't first. Don't you feel like this year we've talked more about banks than the previous three years on the podcast? Yeah. Com- yeah combined. combined. <laughs> yeah. And then some. Yeah. Maybe if you combined all the three previous years and multiplied it by five, you'd still probably not have as much discussion on banking as we've had in the past three months. Um, so Warren Buffett on bank failures. You and I have talked about this a lot, and I agree with with basically his his thing here, is that the incentives and the bank executives of these companies that are failing, getting off with no, getting them getting off scot-free is a very bad lesson to learn. Like them not getting any sort of consequences, these bankers, for being reckless with depositors and mismatching their balance sheet and not understanding how duration works should face consequences or else this is a very bad lesson to learn. And that people running the banking industry have more important jobs and uh, have important jobs and that they're learning the wrong lessons right now about risks and incentives. And then I think I quoted this on the last episode, Charlie Munger said, bankers should act more like engineers managing risk, not all trying to get rich. And Buffett said, quote, Banking can have new inventions, but it has to have old values. Uh, brilliantly said, and I couldn't agree more, especially around incentives. This is a bad lesson to learn if there's no consequences. Yeah, exactly. And I think, and I mean, look, last year, I know we saw a lot of things happen with crypto, right? So we saw a lot of failure of centralized crypto organization and people were quick to point it out. But one thing I'll say about crypto is, um, you know, they're going after the ones that, you know, committed fraud and committed illegal things, but 
they're not bailing them out. And that's one of the risks we talked about, you know, comparing that to SVB, for example, is um, I don't know what the term was that you used. I think you talked about it, like the social cost or whatever um, it is. But when you end up and kind of bailing them out, you kind of, you know, almost reward the, this kind of bad behavior saying like, well, I'm, I mean, there's totally. not any major consequences. The government is going to be there. And I mean, look, they even said it. I listened to it. They should, you know, they said, look, if they haven't bought, uh, you know, bailed out SVB, the depositors, like the consequences would have been massive and pretty. I can't remember the term they used during uh, um, uh, Warren. I think it's Warren that talked about it. But again, I think that's something as a society we need to look at because um, it's not good and it's going to create even, you know, these kind of behaviors in the future. They'll manifest in some kind of other way. Way if they don't think there's consequences and they're yeah. going to get bailed out. It's a long string of bad yeah. lessons, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, really? exactly. Um, along, uh, you know, from from depositors being bailed out, which I, I think they, they should, but it's still, it's still like, you know, incentives yeah. not aligned. And then on the executives. And, I can yeah, tell you one thing. People have learned... I've learned their lessons with crypto to be careful with centralized exchange that are not in their country or offshore. Um, It's a hard lesson to learn. No one likes to lose money, but it shows that if you have some consequences, um, you know, maybe rough in the short term, but you definitely learn from it. Talk about consequences. (laughs) Um. I didn't get to that one. Yeah. (laughs) Money printing. Uh, there was countless questions about inflation and uh, money printing. Charlie Munger quoted it, qu- called it, quote unquote, extreme levels. And then they were talking about it and inflation and, and, and printing money in this like kind of never ending cycle. And, you know, where does it all go? And. This is amazing, by the way. This might be my favorite whole little back and forth. You know what I'm just going to chime in first is you remember that tweet from the Bank of Canada that was saying like basically telling people like we don't print money. Like you have no idea what you're talking about. Here's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It just kind of reminds me of that how like, you know, out to lunch they were when, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Anyways, go on. (laughs) So bad. Okay, so. Um, he called it extreme. Uh, they both said, you know, it's it's kind of staggering, but uh, you know, it, it is what it is. And 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 uh, Buffett said, "You're okay for now," and then jumped in, uh, cut him off. Charlie said, "So is the man who jumps off the building until he hits the floor." And I was wow, like, "Damn, I, yeah. that was that was quick." <laughs> you know, I hope to be that quick when I I'm not. The building is really tall. You know, you're yeah. okay for now. Jumps in. Yeah. So is the man who jumps off until it's four, and then and then Warren starts laughing, and he goes, "Yeah, he's probably okay until about the sixth floor." <laughs> That's a good quote. Yeah. <laughs> really good, right? Really, I didn't see a lot of people pick up on that because it was just a really quick interaction, and. uh I loved it because it's it's a it's a great analogy, right? You know, like yeah, you're fine. You know, you jump off skyscraper. You're, you know, you're having a you're, you're skydiving, enjoying the scenery until about the sixth floor when you realize it's all about to end very quick. 
And sure, that might be dark and morbid, but what's what gives, right? Like at the levels that I print, I mean, we've already seen how much inflation has kind of changed everyone's life in the past 12, 16 months. I mean, it's changed both of ours and every single Canadians and every single person in currencies that are deflating a lot are, are inflating a lot worse than the U.S. dollar. Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, you're unfortunately our politicians. And again, I, I'm not talking about any kind of side or anything like that. It's pretty much the same across the board, to be honest, is they just have different they view the spending in different ways, but until we have our politicians that kind of end up reining in the spending a little bit, um, you know, something's got to give at some point. You issue more debt and you pay more interest because interest rates are higher. At some point, your interest on your debt becomes so large that you have to do something. And usually it's either a soft default with, you know, more money printing, uh, looser conditions, and you devalue the debt by doing that, or you have a hard default and you don't pay your debt, which would be the case if the U.S. does not come to an agreement for the debt ceiling. I don't think we'll see that. Um, But, you know, I think, unfortunately, like, look, uh, I don't want to be a Charlie Munger here, but I think something will some hard decisions will have to be taken. And I mean, you know, you, you have to hope that we have politicians that think more longer term, but that's not what they usually do. They, you know, that's the reality. I know I don't want to sound too uh, too down on that, but, um, you know, you have to sometimes make the hard decisions. Yeah. Yeah, well said. All right, three more things before I talk about the experience and recommendations. Uh, other things I wrote down here, they are built different. This is a long meeting. Uh, like, I don't know how they have that kind of duration. Uh, number two, the adoration they have for each other, particularly Warren's adoration for Charlie. Um, it's just really, it's it's quite beautiful, honestly, um, watching them in person and watching their exchange watching Buffett be both diplomatic and cover Charlie's yeah, back when yeah. he says some savage stuff, but also just like recognizing how impressive it is that he's up there at the age of 99. Like he's going to be 100 on January 1st. He's born on New Year's Day. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's just really... Uh, it's it's kind of beautiful watching the two of them, the adoration that they have for each other. Uh, last three, uh, last thing here is they're really good at looking at things in aggregate because they're asked a lot of hard questions and they're asked a lot of questions about various topics from asking a 92 year old and a 99 year old what they think about artificial intelligence and technology to the macro economy, to the ins and outs of Berkshire Hathaway uh, and all the different businesses that they run inside of it. They will discuss many different topics off the back of other topics and talk about the pros, talk about the cons. And they use a word net net a lot. They say net net. So they're really good at think, looking at things in aggregate. You know, they'll be like, these are the pros, these are the cons. But net net, this is a way to think about it. Net net, world, the world's better now than it is before. You know, this is better. This is worse. This is a problem we have now. This is, this is a problem that we might not be able to solve. But net net, XYZ. 
I think that's a pretty good framework to think about a lot of things and have like a kind of balanced view and, and they're really good at it. Yeah. No, I think uh, that's kind of the sense I got with, you know, past meetings and this one listening to it. So not too much to uh, to add to that. Then, you know, I think it. You can just pull up. Yeah. Nothing, I have nothing, nothing to, to add. add. That's it. <laughs> that's that's Keep what going. Charlie always does. Oh, <laughs> that's what I, he always does. All right. The experience. So the people, um, the people you meet, everyone has like so many layers to them. Um, especially if they're not just, I run a fund and there's yeah. lots of those too. You know, I run a, I run a fund. And no, no offense to those people, but if they're not that person, they typically have like ridiculous layers to them. Like they run some ridiculously niche business or um, they've done X, Y, and Z. Like they, these people are onions. They have a lot of layers to them. Entrepreneurial, immigrants, uh, people with huge businesses, like like huge businesses. Um, some guy might like that's like, sells like he's like the largest distributor of bone broth oh, wow. okay. like what like okay <laughs> yeah. like a chicken broth and and uh and and meat bone broth okay interesting nine to fivers with with side hustles um a lot of Europeans, a lot of indians a lot i met tons of germans and not just the guys i was airbnb with like others it feels like no one had just one thing and it seemed like everyone was really bad at answering the question. What do you do? Yeah. Like, you know, when you have like 10 things to talk about, like it's not really easy to answer. And I agree with that. Like, it's hard for me to kind of summarize it in one quick thing, you know, like, Oh, by the way, I also have this podcast. It's the, uh, it's the biggest finance podcast in Canada. And it's like, Oh wait, like how do you not lead with that? You know? And it's like, well, yeah. there's other stuff going on too, you know? And everyone felt so multidimensional and it, that was awesome. But it's also like, I feel like we all need to come up with a, a more catchy, <laughs> catchy synopsis while networking. Cause it goes a long way. Like I, I was thinking on the, on my way home, like I just think, I think I need to be better at that because it makes the conversations better and it makes you an easier person to talk to and network with uh, by just having like, you yeah, know, some no, go-tos. No. Yeah. It's not a bad, it's not a bad idea to have a couple go-tos in the back mm -hmm. pocket, you know? No. And, um, one thing that I, I learned, um, I was talking to Stig Brogerson, yeah. you know, the mm -hmm. investor podcast guy. He says, I asked him about the podcast business and he says, we optimize for happiness. And I was like, what does that mean? So like we were digging into that. I thought that was quite an interesting conversation. Every European I met is a hardcore deep value investor. I don't know what it is. I know they're not all, but like deep, deep value. Like every single European I met. I, so that seemed to be some sort of trend. Um, a comment on meeting internet friends I have written down here. Uh, meeting internet friends is always fascinating because, you know, someone you've maybe DM'd with on Twitter a fair amount of times, exchanged with online, maybe even had Zoom calls with, and then you, you meet them in person. It's always uh, it's always a fascinating time, and you kind of learn who you, who each other really are really quick. Um, and then, Simone, I'll, I'll last, I have three notes here on recommendations to myself and anyone if they want to go to the event in Omaha in the future. Uh, number one tip is, Plan a rough itinerary of every block 
of time while you're there. I had a bit of a, I'll figure it out attitude and realized that every event you go to with some awesome people that you'd love to meet, like literal billionaires, you don't have your name on the RSVP. And so they, you can't go in. And all you had to do was like last week, just put your name on them, like fill out their form. Like, it's not like you had to pay. You didn't have to be some fund manager. You don't have to be a billionaire. You just have to be on their list. That's it. Uh, so do that. Don't do what I did and, and, and join a bunch. Even if you don't want to go, like maybe put yourself on there. Um, go for around 630 in the morning to get a good seat. That's, that's when I went and I think it was perfect. I think this is the one thing I did really well, which was I didn't go too late, but I also didn't go too early because a lot of people go absurdly early, like 2 a.m., like, you know, then at four to get a good a spot on the floor. But the marathon is a, mar- uh, the, the meeting is a marathon in itself. Uh, and then if you're going to want to be in the right places and meet cool people, do drinks at the Hilton lobby after, go for dinner with cool people that you've been wanting to meet, you're just not going to be in a good shape at, you know, 8 p.m. if you've been up since two, like, that's just not, not the, don't do that. Like my recommendation is don't be the the guy who shows up super early uh, to say you did it because it's going to be mid, it's going to be lunch and you're going to be like falling asleep. Um, and then uh, my third recommendation is you can definitely find like I did uh, people to split an Airbnb, like a sweet spot. That's close. That's good. But like nearby, you'll meet some people um, you can split Airbnbs with people and it'll be like a fourth. The whole, the whole stay will be like a fourth of the price of a hotel each night. Cause the hotels, especially if you don't book early are absurdly expensive in Omaha for the weekend and are not worth it to stay in like some, you know, Hampton suites for like a thousand bucks a night in Omaha, Nebraska. Like that's not worth it. And don't do that. So, uh, those are my three. No, that's pretty good. I mean, I'm definitely, uh, I'm a little jealous. I'll try to go. Um, I don't know, maybe next year I'll see. Uh, but, uh, Maybe you'll meet the century century mark, mark, but uh, definitely, you know, taking some notes and, uh, glad we were able to get a, a breakdown of the experience. Yes, sir. So that's it. Um, and of course, I'll be you know mixing in all these quotes on the podcast now that I'm just so uh, cultured after going to the... Uh, my, my two favorite quotes are definitely write your obituary and reverse engineer it. And uh, the, 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 the second one, which is you can kind of split this with anything, but he said banking. Banking can have new inventions, but it has to have old values. I, I think that's quite profound, not not only with banking, but just with everything. Like you have to be rooted, even though there can be new inventions in the way the financial system works. It doesn't mean that we can be reckless. Um, no, that's yeah. true. No, I nothing to add. Nothing to nothing add. To add. Yeah. Okay, Charlie. Uh, thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. Really appreciate you tuning in. That's my like kind of 10 lessons from from going to the AGM in person. And um, if you want to see, to support the show and see us in person, that will be July 7th, the Friday evening. Mark your calendar now. We're going to be able to get you guys tickets soon. They will sell out. 
very fast. So don't pull a me and wait on a bunch of stuff for the Berkshire planning because then you'll be like, oh, Simon Braden, I didn't get a ticket. And I'm going to be like, man, I, I, you're not on the, I didn't write your name on the, the list here, Matt. Like, I can't help you. Sorry, pal. Uh, so don't, you don't want that to happen. No, yet. exactly. Yeah, it'll be fun. We'll see, you in a, we'll see you in a few days here on the pod. We are here Mondays and Thursdays on the Canadian Investor Podcast. If you want to support the show, you can obviously come to our event and you can also go to joinTCI.com. Uh, and uh, we'll thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.